once again, welcome to WordServe. My name is Pastor Bill. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, would love to meet you over by the door after the service. And if you have any questions about WordServe, please let us know. That is why we're here. Today, I'm kind of sad. I got to admit, I'm, we're wrapping up a sermon series that I really liked and I wanted to do more, but uh, nobody's got time for that. So the, the sermon series that we're wrapping up is to my friend who left the faith. Now, I should specify what makes me happy about this is not that people have left the faith. I just want to be clear about that. What makes me happy is that these are the questions that matter the most. These are the questions that keep people from ever darkening the door of a church. More importantly, these are the questions that keep people from Christ and the life that he gives. So if we can learn to address some of these, whether individually or as a community, we have a lot better chance of letting people know who Jesus is and how he impacts the world. So where have we been? We talked about they left. Who's right? So sometimes when people leave, it, it hurts us. Like, oh, I take that personally. You, you didn't, you left my church. Well, it's not my church. I, I don't know if that's a spoiler alert for anybody. It's Jesus' church. Jesus is going to work through them wherever they are. I'm not worried about that. Uh, I doubt it. We talked about that as well. When you have doubts, what do you do with them? Last week, we talked about mean people, and, and that has two meanings, no pun intended. One was mean, like we're not very nice to people sometimes. We can be very judgmental. But the other is mean as in the average. We're not called to be average, Jesus followers. We're called to be super natural, above nature. Not because of we're, you know, got superpowers, but because of whom we serve. And that is Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. Now we're on to the hardest question of all. Why? That is the, the number one question. I, this is not a scientific survey, but I would venture a guess. If you've ever struggled with faith, if you've ever struggled with getting up and going to church, or being in that relationship with Jesus Christ, there's probably a why question lurking in your background. And let me assure you this morning that you are the only one that has ever had that problem. <laughs> Not. I want to tell you about a problem that I had the, the one time that I asked why. I ask why frequently. Bill, you're a pastor. Yes, I am. Do you still ask why? Almost every day. Not because I'm uh, like giving up on faith. Don't worry. I'm good. I'm good. But because I don't understand a lot. And sometimes there's a, a, a myriad of emotions that come with that. It can be frustration. I don't understand. It can be anger. Why? It can be desperation. Why? Why does this happen in this world? But the bottom line is it keeps us away from faith. So let me tell you about the, one of the latest times that I was uh, just downright angry with God. I, I was not a happy camper. So <clears throat> I had a... Uh, and <laughs> I need a caveat this. I'm not telling you this because I want sympathy or, or anything else. I'm just telling you this is, is me. This is my story, right? Had a very successful Air Force career. Uh, I, like it or not, I was pretty good at blowing stuff up. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it was going really well, but I felt this tug. I felt this call to ministry at the 14-year point in my career. Now, Bill, you served 21 years. Yes, I did. So why at 14 did you have this call and not do anything about it? I tried. I tried. I went to the Air Force at the 14-year point in my career, and I said, hey, I've got a call to ministry. I think I'd like to be an Air Force chaplain. <laughs> you know what they did? They laughed in my face because, <laughs> because at the time they said, we've got a pilot shortage. We've got a chaplain overage. We don't need you to be a chaplain. We need you to be a pilot. Shut up and go fly. That was after they laughed at me. Uh, yeah. And so I was crushed, right? And I went to the pastor that the, we were going to a church in San Antonio is where I was stationed at the time. And I told this civilian pastor my, my whole story. I feel it's called a ministry. I don't know what to do. I think, 
I love the Air Force. I don't want to get out of the Air Force. I think this is where I'm called to serve, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, Bill, just be a pastor where you are. Like, what? Are you making fun of me too? Because I, I can only take so much in a day, Bob, right? No, he wasn't making fun of me. He was, he was putting the call on my life. Like, be a pastor right where you are. Yes, you're a pilot. Yes, you hang out in the squadron with all these other guys who would never talk to me. They wouldn't sit down and talk to me, but they will talk to you. They will be with you. Literally, captive audience, right? There's only so far you can go in an airplane, right? Uh, literally, day by day, just watching you. You can influence these people. And I thought, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I guarantee the last seven years of my career were a whole bunch different than the first 14. Because I was a pastor who happened to be a pilot instead of a pilot who wanted to be a pastor. You see the difference? So I left this career at 21 years because then I said, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this for real. And it was going well. I mean, I loved the Air Force. I loved everything about it. But I left because I thought, okay, maybe it's time that I do something serious about this call. So I retired. I used my GI Bill to go to seminary. Again, I'm not telling you this for sympathy or bragging. I'm just telling you this is me. And I lived a, a, a life of service because I wanted to go to seminary so that I could be a pastor and I could minister. That, that was finally the thing that I was going to do with this calling on my life. So I go to seminary. I come to WordServe. Uh, most of you know the story. I come here as uh, the small groups and, and uh, all that kind of stuff guy. And uh, then I got uh, down to part-time hours, so kind of scrambling around to find some things. And I'm, I'm questioning at this point. It's like, man, I gave up a really nice career doing stuff that I really love to do. And it's just not going the way I thought it should go. I said, Shouldn't I be doing something more? It should, God, if I'm, if I'm offering myself to you, why are you kind of casting me aside? It turns out he was not casting me aside. It just felt that way. Have you ever felt that way? It doesn't feel good, right? So fast forward a few years after I'm part-time and trying to figure out what is the next step here? What is God doing in my life? I get this uh, diagnosis. Now, if you've ever had this diagnosis, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not this specific one, but the news, right? So there's a, a blood test that they administer on an annual physical, and uh, the marker they were looking for normal was zero to four. Five to six, they start to watch you because it might be cancer. Mine came back at 12. Always the overachiever. Why? <laughs> right? And so they said, you know what we're going to do? We're gonna, we're, this might be an anomaly that is so weird. That never happens. We're going to send you to a specialist and do the blood test again. They have much more accurate equipment. 13. Yeah, I'm going up. I'm, I'm achieving, right? This is, this is the story of my life. Like, if I'm going to go for it, I'm going big, right? So, yeah, the, the news came back. You've got cancer. I was like, seriously, God? I had this whole, whole career that I gave up. I, I went to seminary. My, my family loved Kentucky. I'm waiting for the sarcasm meter to pick. <laughs> if girls, you're watching, sorry, right? So uh, we did all this stuff. We came here, all this stuff that I went through, and this is how it ends? Is this the end of the story? Really, God? This is what you have for me? And it gets better. Because right after I got that diagnosis, words were called. And he said, Bill, we would like you to be our full-time pastor. You catch the irony? <laughs> yeah. It's like, seriously, I've been waiting all this time. And now this opportunity comes up, and I love WordServe. Uh, almost as like, well, do I love it more than the Air Force? No, I, 
I love all my children, right? No, I love WordServe. I didn't want to leave WordServe. I love the atmosphere. I love the authenticity. I love everything about WordServe. And this was a great opportunity, and now, boom, you got the news. And so I said, hey, can I pray about this? Because yeah, there's some stuff going on, you know? And so when I prayed, this is what I heard. I said, you know, this is so ridiculous. You can't make this stuff up. Like, this is the opportunity that I've been looking for, and I get diagnosed with cancer. And you know what I said? Yes, I'll do it. Because if this works out, it can only be God doing this. It's not me. And so, well, fast forward, I'll spare you all the details, but clearly I'm still around, right? <laughs> and clearly, I'm, yes, word service is still around. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but in the meantime, I was dealing with a ton, and I mean a ton, of anger. Because I asked that question, why? I mean, I, I, I don't sit around and eat junk food. I work out. I eat pretty clean. I live pretty well. I had a desire to serve my country and then serve my God. Why? Why, why, why? And you know what I heard back? Nothing. I heard nothing. And that made me more angry. <laughs> like, come on, God, is this all you've got? Now, I'm going to tell you that <clears throat> I wouldn't wish this on anybody, but... I'm going to save the lessons that I learned through this experience to the end. And they're good. They're great, in fact. But to get to that, we have to ask ourselves a couple of questions. Because, again, this isn't just about Bill. This isn't just about us. This is about those people who have left the faith because of the why question. And maybe you're one of those people who's struggling with that question right now. This is for all of us. So we have to look at it two ways. We have to look at... Uh, why we think God might be doing this suffering. And so I, I have provided a list of arguments here that you might hear that are pretty common. Uh, the first one is it's soul development. Well, God put you through suffering so you can develop your soul. Like, seriously, God, I can't just go to the soul gym? <laughs> that would be way easier. <laughs> now, you may or may not agree with any of these, but these are the most common ones. So uh, the one is that it's for greater good. Well, you can't understand the mind of God. You don't know how God works. He's doing something good in this. That satisfying anybody out here? Uh, that, that, and this, this is all going through my mind during my experience. like, I don't see it. I don't get it. And I don't like it. Right? So, and I'm just mad. Right? The next one is kar uh, karma or cosmic justice. Now, here's the problem with that one. Because kar karma or cosmic justice argument says, if you do good, you'll get good. If you do bad, you'll get bad. Sounds great. But what happens when good people get bad things. Hmm, that's not justice. Or is it? I'll leave it to you to decide. Uh, the fourth one, eternity makes, it looks a whole lot better when you compare it to the current suffering. Does that satisfy anybody here? <laughs> it's like, okay, I, I know, I, heaven's going to be great. That's awesome, but what about here and now? Because this is where I am. This is where I'm living and what I'm dealing with. I don't care that eternity looks better right now. Just mad. And then the last one is free will. Free will. Oh, now that's interesting. Free will says that we all have a choice. And so sometimes the choices that we make may not be the best choices. Now, if you take that just in that pure line of reasoning, it says that if you make bad choices, you will get bad things and it's your fault. But what about if somebody else makes a bad choice that affects me? Somebody sent me an article, as only people will do, trying to be helpful when I was diagnosed with cancer, that there's an, a disproportionate amount of Air Force pilots that come down with prostate cancer. 
I said, great, that was not in the brochure when I signed up. They didn't tell me that, right? Might have something to do with that huge phased ray radar that I'm sitting three feet behind for thousands of hours. I don't know. But anyway, this is one of those things. Somebody else did this thing, and I just happened to be there, and maybe I got the side effects. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. I just know that it happened, and I was not happy. So these are kind of the common arguments that you'll see now. Here's what we need to do when it comes to this list of arguments. We need to ask two questions, and this is what we're going to solve today. What can we do when we ask why? And what can we do when they, whoever they is in your life, ask why? We're going to read two different, version, or two different verses rather, of the Bible, and I want you to listen for what the commonality is between the two. What do these two passages have in common? Spoiler alert, yeah, I know you're going to say Jesus. Okay, all right. But what about Jesus do these two things have in common? We're going to start in John 1, 14. Probably better read the Bible right side up. That would be better. All right, listen for the commonalities about what Jesus is doing in these two verses. The first one says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Second one is like it. Listen for the commonalities about what it is that is so unique about Jesus. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words, we are grateful. What did you hear that was common about Jesus? I'll give you a hint. This is the way that I see it. Among us. Jesus was among us. See, in many religions, God is aloof or distant uncaring, unengaged in the world, but this God, in the form of son, his son Jesus Christ, is among us, took on flesh, dwelt among us. And not only was he among us, he experienced everything that we experience. Did Jesus experience suffering? Yes. Did Jesus experience injustice? Yes. Did Jesus experience betrayal? Yes. And the list goes on and on and on. So while you may, in fairness, be able to say, Bill, you don't know what I'm going through. That is true. I don't know what you're going through, but we cannot say that Jesus doesn't know exactly what we're going through, whatever it is. Jesus suffered. If Jesus, the Son of God, suffered, how should I expect anything less? Not that I'm looking forward to it, not that I'm inviting it, but if Jesus suffered, there must be something to this. And ironically for me, it goes back to this idea of free will. Because a lot of times we make some pretty knuckleheaded decisions, do we not? Free will does a lot to our world. Now, 
in, in the case of, uh, just let's pick cancer for a second. I may or may not have contributed to that. But if somebody dumps a bunch of chemicals illegally into a water system and we start to drink that chemical and that chemical is a carcinogen, did I sin? Is it my fault? No. But did somebody? Somebody made a poor decision, and I'm suffering as a result of that. I don't know if anybody's aware of this, but this is a broken world. Spoiler alert again, right? People make bad decisions all the time, and that affects everyone. That, that takes care of some of those bad decisions. Now, some of them are just natural disasters. It, it, things happen. But in Jesus' time, he addresses those and, and says, yeah, bad will happen. He's, he's not sugarcoating any of this. He tells us we will have trouble in this world. That's one of the things I love about this guy, and that's why I will follow him anywhere, because he tells me the truth, even if the truth is seemingly bad news. He lays it out. So there is very much this idea of free will. Now, free will can also make good choices, but we'll get to that in a second. A lot of times our free will is to go, you know what? I'm just mad, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, whatever your emotion is, I'm just casting this aside. I don't need this God. If this is God, I don't need this. But here's the thing. Free will is necessary for God's creation, and here's why. It's the only way that you can experience true love. Now think about that for a second. When we were created back in the garden, God's desire was for companionship with humankind. So he created us with free will. Because if you have someone that, let's say, is your spouse, or if you're not at that point yet, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and they have no choice but to love you, do they really love you? Is that a spouse or is that a slave or a robot? The only way we can truly experience love is to choose to love. That's free will. But in our choices, we can also make bad choices as well. But it's necessary for us to experience that true love. Now, free will, we can use free will wisely. How do we do that? Well, <laughs> the old standard movie line answer, make good choices, right? But sometimes even making good choices results in bad things. It's, this is just the broken world that we live in. But here's what I would say. When it comes time for these trials, and not if, when it comes time for these trials, let's use them. Let's let God use them to work in and through us to make us more like Christ. Christ who experienced suffering. Christ who experienced everything that you've experienced. All of that he experiences. He knows. Let God work in us and through us to make us more like Christ. This would be, the example would be like, I have the free will. I'm, I'm in a stormy ocean, and it's terrible, but I'm in a lifeboat. And I decide of my own free will that I don't like this lifeboat anymore. I'm just going to take my chances in the water because I don't like this. So I jump in the water. What are my odds of surviving? Not great, right? I'd rather be in the lifeboat. So maybe in the midst of this suffering, we don't cast away the lifeboat that has our back, that lifeboat being Jesus Christ. But we do it all the time, do we not? Yeah, I, I know that this thing called eternity is great. I know that supposedly God has my back, but I'm just tired of it, and I'm done. I'm out. So we jump into the waves. That's tragic on a couple of levels because, as we'll see in a second, when we talk about how to deal with this, that lifeboat is everything. So what do we do when we ask why? I, I have two L's for you. Lean and learn. 
Lean into God, not away from God. Don't get disconnected from that lifeboat, from that life-giving source, from the one that will have you not only in this world, but into eternity. And oh, by the way, if you do the math, eternity is way longer than this world. His glory is way greater than our current suffering. That's all right here in the playbook. I'm not making this up. It's hard to see in the present because this is where we are. This is all we see, but it's there. And people who have faced that, Understand that. What do we do when we ask why? We lean and we learn. We learn from Christ. What can I take away from this? How is this shaping my character? How can it if I let God have it? How do I react with other people? How, how do other people see my suffering? Not that I'm putting on a show. I'll, I'll be real. <laughs> it's miserable. It's terrible. But I don't get out of the lifeboat. That's what we can do. Lean and learn. But what about when they ask why? This is a tough one, man, because, you know, I'm not a theologian, Bill. I don't have all these answers. I can't just spit something out and be, you know, God said this, and oh, thanks, that makes it all better. Uh, You know what? I can't either. Uh, Mainly because sometimes there's no words that will make it better. So what do you do when they ask why? Well, the, the first thing is to be present. You don't have to say a word. But you're there as a presence. And the counseling phrase is the non-anxious presence. You know how hard it is to be non-anxious around people who are anxious? It's very difficult. Anybody play poker? Got a good poker face? We need you on the visitation team, right? (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. But be a non-anxious presence. I can't do that. I get all wired when people are anxious around me. How do I do that? Well, I'm grounded. I'm in the lifeboat. I never got out of it. And so when you see these people who are in this raging sea of storm and distress and whatever life gives you, you don't jump in the water with them. You stand in the lifeboat. You say, I'm here. He's here. Can I introduce you to the guy that can do way better than I can? And we don't leave. Whatever that looks like for you. Don't jump into the ocean. Stay in the boat. But help them. Be present with them. And at some point, they may have questions like, how are you this non-anxious presence? Well, it's not me. It's Christ in me. You can have that too. Sometimes there's a time for a conversation. Sometimes there are times just to shut up. I, I, I pray daily for discernment in that from the Holy Spirit. Like, Bill, is this time to talk or is this time to shut up? Right? Unfortunately, I'm, I'm married to the Holy Spirit's servant named Rana, who gives me that a lot. So I, I have a good record of shutting up, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> but we don't leave them helpless in that raging sea. We offer them assistance from the lifeboat because we've dealt with this. And so if you're in a place of questioning, if you're in a place of suffering, know this, God can use that. Do I invite that? Do I welcome it? Do I go looking for it? No. You know, but one thing I've learned is when it happens, I'm going to let God use this. And and that lifeboat looks a lot better. So what have I learned uh, from my experience? Well, the first one is that God is everything. Because if if you're there, if this is the end of things, it doesn't matter what job you had, what money you made, what house you lived in, what friends you had. None of that matters anymore. What matters is God, my relationship. That's all that matters. The second lesson that cancer taught me is that I had a mission. 
I, I, I journaled <clears throat> through some of my experience, and I, I remember writing this question, is this all that I have? Is this all I have to give? Is this it, the end? And after the experience, God said, no. We've got a lot more for you. You, you, you can't shut up. I'm going to use that. <laughs> and he has. So mission, when I say I've got a mission, like capital M, all caps mission, not like go make disciples of all the world. No, I'm on fire, right? I can't not do this now because I've got like a, a second win. That's the second thing that God taught me. So we can all learn lessons from all of this. God is everything at the end of the day. God has a mission for you. It may not look like mine, but he's got something for you, and he can use that. He can absolutely use that. But here's the third lesson. I take nothing, nothing for granted. Some people complain, oh, I got to do this thing. It's like, man, I get to do this thing. Oh, it's another day. It's going to be a terrible day. Man, I wake up. I'm on the right side of the turf. This is already a win for me. How can this be bad? I don't know what God's going to do on this day, but I know it's going to be awesome. But take nothing for granted. We do that so frequently. Now, I will say that I wouldn't wish this upon anybody, like I said before. But here's the thing. You don't learn those lessons in the good times. You learn those lessons in the bad times if we lean into and learn from the risen Savior. Don't leave the lifeboat. Be in the lifeboat for those who have that question. Let's pray. God, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who was the original lifeboat captain. <laughs> he came into our world of mess and of sorrow and suffering and, and experienced every bit of it. There's nothing that we experience that he hasn't experienced. Every temptation in every way born into poverty, threatened with death, and eventually convicted to death, a criminal's death. And he knows all of that. Yet he chose to go through that. God, and we're so grateful for that kind of love, even though we don't always understand it. God, this morning I pray for all those who are suffering with this question, why, right now. It's in their lives, it's real, it's heavy. It may cause a myriad of emotions, but God, you can burn through all of that. I pray that you would help us all see this morning the value of that lifeboat, that one thing that we cling to. And I pray that we would take that lifeboat with us wherever we go and offer that as a symbol of hope as people learn who you truly are and not what people say about you. God, open our hearts as only you can this morning. Let us see you clearly. Let us see through the current condition to who you are in a way that changes us forever. And may we be on mission for you. May we be for your purpose. May we re recognize that you are everything in the end. And may we take none of it for granted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.